Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. Mike's off the desk today, but I am joined by a panel of SPAC experts for a lively one-hour discussion featuring SPAC Guru, SPAC Insider, and SPAC Warrants. On the podcast, we discuss, are SPACs back? And is this the start of a new bull market? The characteristics of recent IPOs? the dynamics of DSPAC's rallying post-deal vote, sentiment regarding M&A and business combinations, the outlook for the SPAC market for the back half of 2021, and more. So please enjoy our show, State of the Markets 2, featuring SPAC Guru, SPAC Insider, and SPAC Warrants. All right, let's kick things off. Welcome, everyone, to State of the Markets 2. Our last episode about a month ago went so well. And the dynamics have changed so much, I figured it would be great to revisit a lot of the concepts and discussion topics that we had last time. So obviously, state of the markets, it's a wide-ranging discussion of experts, specifically in the SPAC market. We have G, the SPAC guru, on the line. We have Christy from SPAC Insider. We have Jeff from SPAC Warrants all legends in their own right. And I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say today, bringing their unique perspectives, insights on the market. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. The format that we want to work with, going to keep this inside of an hour. So 45-minute discussion between myself, Julian, the moderator, and our three guest speakers, experts. And then I do want to have a 15-minute Q&A at the end. So if you guys in the audience have any questions, just raise your hand uh, once we're done the discussion, roughly in about 45 minutes, and then we will answer your questions. Hopefully we can get to them all, uh, but I got a hard stop in an hour. So let's kick things off. Uh, Thank you for our experts joining us today. I have a number of discussion topics, uh, interesting dynamics in the SPAC market. Specifically, let's Uh, kick things off. I mean, we all know that it was a rough ride between Feb 19th and basically since then had a bit of a SPAC bear market peak Feb 19th and then uh, double digit drop. I believe the market bottomed March 24th and kind of flatlined for a couple months. I believe sentiment is finally starting to turn. We're starting to see SPACs perk up a bit. We've had eight up days in a row, could make it nine right away. And we're starting to see premiums come back a bit, some SPACs popping, IPOs coming back. We actually had a, a, an oversubscribed IPO today that was well-received. It's trading up, which is interesting to see. Um, we subscribed to that IPO, haven't subscribed to an IPO in, in over two months. And so that's a, a topic that we want to discuss is the IPO market. But prior to getting into that, I wanted your guys' view on our SPACs back. And is this the start of a new bull market? First, I'll pass it along to G, the SPAC guru. What are your thoughts on the current state of the SPAC market? First of all, thanks for having us, Julian. I'm curious, are we recording this for a future podcast? Yep, we are recording this for the Absolute Return podcast. That should be out Monday morning. 
anybody who wants, I just highly suggest listening to many of Julian's podcasts. They're all very informative, great guests, and uh, he's way too modest to tell you or ask you, so I will. So with that being said, um, I like to see uh, green on my screen like many people. It's been, uh, it's been nuclear winter, as we sometimes discuss in SPAC world. And the green shoots are, are welcome. We like the spring. We like we like to see a little bit of green. And um, it was interesting today. Um, as we know, yesterday Tuttle rang the bell, and um, I posted something this morning about desktop metal. And um, somebody kindly sent me a direct message saying that the pipe investors all got unlocked, and the and the investors. And when I told looked and I saw it was. Google and Coke Industries and Tremoth and Ford and uh, and, and uh, Lux. I said I don't think that these guys are going to be selling their their ten dollar pipe for a twenty dollar pop. And and Tuttle surprisingly said that pipe investors may be scrambling for cash. I don't want to misquote him. Um, I'll go and I'll find exactly what he said. But um, that was that was an interesting reply. So with that being said. Um, does anybody have any thoughts to uh, his response on that? Sure, I'll pass along to Christy, SPAC Insider. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot to chew on there. Um, let me just first start before we get into the pipe discussion. Um, as far as the SPAC market, I'm a little bit more cautious in the sense that I think it's back, but only for certain um, certain deals and for certain uh, deals, depending on where they are in their lifetime. So as we've all seen, the announced deals that are recently completed, they've done very well. Um, if you look at the share price uh, relative to their IPO issuance price. Yeah. Um, however, the IPO market is another story. Yeah. Uh, Jaws Hurricane is certainly the exception to the rule, but you know we've had a number of IPOs this week and all of them have trade, but traded below 10. Yeah. And that is not in general the best sign. Um, and that, and that means, obviously, IPO investors are pretty reluctant to jump in, but only for select deals. And those select deals are going to be um, very high-quality teams uh, and teams that they are reasonably sure are going to be able to present a very good deal. As far as the pipe market, the pipe market it can be a little bit confusing. The problem with the pipe market is, is there are so many SPACs right now. They all need a pipe. And there's a certain amount of rotation of capital amongst pipe investors as well. And so where some of them uh, may be very interested in the companies they've previously invested in, yeah, I mean, they may be they may be rotating out a portion of their holdings, not all of it, really, but some of it, to invest in additional deals, right? Because they're probably capital constraints. They only have so much capital they can deploy. And if they have, like, like 50 SPACs calling on them, what, what are they supposed to do, <laughs> right? So they may take a little bit of profit off of some relative to future SPACs. Um, so that's the problem with having a market this large. Hey, Julian, when you're not speaking, can you please uh, just mute your mic? We'll get some feedback for your podcast. Yeah, I'm on it. Um, just to be clear, I went back and Tuttle Capital Management, his exact quote was, there could be a cash crunch coming soon for pipe investors. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I meant, right? Like, Crest Crunch meaning, um, listen, we, we, we have 421 SPACs out searching for deals which want to announce, and they all want to pipe. That's a lot of capital we need to round up for pipes, you know? Um, so that's sort of what I mean in the sense that where there was an IPO crunch previously, because so many deals wanted to IPO, we also have 
cast crunch um, for pipes too. Yeah, and one interesting dynamic that we're seeing is certain sponsor teams that have a lot of access to capital. They are re-upping their commitment and sometimes leading the pipe, which is an advantageous spot to be in these days because that market is just so, so competitive. And Christy, like you said, there's so many pipe opportunities out there. So investors are super selective, but the SPACs that have capital backing them, uh, specifically either you're you know, a very wealthy entrepreneur, like uh, the deal announced today, YAC, or you're backed by a, a private equity firm that has access to billions of dollars, um, if they can back their own pipe and re-up into the deal, then that is super powerful in terms of attracting additional capital into um, you know those transactions. Yeah, it's, it's what I like to call the, the rich uncle effect, right? <laughs> Where you have, uh, you know, if you have very powerful asset manager or PE firm behind you, such as like an Apollo or something like that as your sponsor, um, you can tap that. Right, if you need to at the pipe stage or you know further down the line, which makes them a, a very attractive spec to combine with, um, because you know if going forward pipes are a little bit more challenging to sort of round out because there's a um, just too many deals announcing and too many pipes and for whatever reason, um, and you can tap that you know quote unquote rich uncle who, who could pony up some cash, um, that's attractive. Definitely. And so he flagged a number of discussion topics that I, I tabled today. Um, in addition to current trading dynamics, sentiment, one IPO issuance, then the DSPAC rallies that we've been seeing, then MA and sectors sentiment. I do want to touch on the SPAC IPO market because there has been, you know, a little bit of, of signs of life. Um, this month, I mean, the first week of the year was not great for issuance, but now we have about uh, nine SPAC IPOs this week, raising you know close to $1.4 billion. And you mentioned the one uh, Jaws hurricane deal. That's the only one that's really trading well. And that one was, in fact, like the first deal that got upsized in about two months, which is pretty significant. Uh, I was seeing nearly half of deals being downsized. And this one was uh, three times oversubscribed. Uh, underwritten by um, Credit Suisse. So, um, you know, that one is uh, really telling, but the sponsor team is is super well known. They have a ton of these uh, JAWS SPACs out there. So they are uh, well known to the market, high quality, but the other ones that we've been seeing lately have been these tiny SPACs, the $50 million ones that are either uh, underwritten by Craig Hallam, Roth, Maxim and firms like uh, Chardon, Kingswood, some of the smaller ones with a lesser known, sometimes like Asian sponsors, and perhaps they're sourcing capital from not the usual suspects. So it's an interesting, a diverse aspect or diverse collection of sponsors coming to the market thus far this month. And one thing that I wanted to touch on was what they're offering to the market specifically. Like we are seeing some overfunded trusts come back in, but with these ones, I'm seeing a lot of variations in terms of warrant coverage and some offering rights uh, instead of warrants. I wanted to get, Jeff, your thoughts on you know what they're offering in terms of units and what you're seeing in the uh, warrant side of the market. Well, hi, Julian, and uh, and no, thanks for having this again. Um, pro- probably started all off by just saying, you know, 
congrats to all of us for actually making it through the, the dark winter there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I honestly, I'm, I, I see the mixed, you know, offerings just like everybody. Uh, you got the Chamath that came out with, with four, uh, without warrants. You get the, the big oversubscribed one today that came out with a quarter warrant. Um, so, I mean, I think everybody's trying to test the waters in different varieties. Uh, for, for us, I mean, I'm seeing a, a relative strength come into the warrants. I'm, I'm not quite sure we're, you know, done with any headwinds, but I do see so many catalysts in the space right now uh, that, that all look like they could fall into line perfectly. Um, and if the warrants are any reflection of future speculation, um, I, I would say net-net, anything people were entering back in March and April is already up 30 to 50%. So uh, we're, we're definitely off the bottoms in most cases, and I'm kind of looking at the ones that haven't bounced yet. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Yeah, I think you're right. Like in terms of, I tracked the average warrant price, we're at around a buck 27. I remember a week ago that was around a buck 15. So we are seeing warrants uh, perk up a little. You're seeing premiums start to creep back in. A single IPO trading at a premium. I mean, it's not going gangbusters here, but it is nice to see um, more balance come to the market. I still think we're in roughly bearish sentiment, but I think things are starting to turn, starting to see a light at the other side of the tunnel. One dynamic that I wanted to touch on that I find fascinating because this is really the opposite of what used to happen because the dynamics of a discounted SPAC, say trading at 995, heading into the vote and the redemption was that the the bid in the market is arbitragers who's basically buying 990 to redeem at 10 bucks, earn that 1% spread you can do that in a month. That's twelve percent annualized, and that's a it's a really great trade because it's low risk and pretty certain. And once that DSPAC happens, it goes X redemption, and that arbitrage bid leaves the market. Then typically the SPAC would fall precipitously. Not only did that uh, there's the trading dynamic because the ARB bid leaves and you got no one to sell to because there's no floor left. But then you know the post-SPAC equity company tends to be over-leveraged because a lot of the cash left the treasury to the redemption. But you know what we've seen over the past three or so weeks are these massive rallies uh, on the DSPAC specifically. I thought one that was super telling was one of the Churchill Capital SPACs, CCX, because this one was at a discount for a long time. It's large, it's liquid, and I think the volume was just getting snatched up. There's a big R bid in the market. And um, it was telling because as soon as it uh, went X redemption, it rallied like 10%. Saw the same thing for like VGAC, saw crazy trading on GIX and a host of others. And everyone's sort of scratching their heads being like, 
what is happening here? This is such a strange dynamic. I find it super fascinating. I wanted to have a discussion on that. So, Guru, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So, with the Churchill deal, the Skillsoft, I'm with you. Um, I was watching it. It wasn't trading very well going into X Redemption. And I really thought that the stock might fall off after the R bids were gone. Um, I actually made a bearish trade on on a SPAC that was in a similar situation not too long ago, and I got blown out. It, you know, it ran in my face. So after that kind of happened, I started paying a little closer attention, and there were people that I know and that I like who were telling me to look at the Skillsoft. Um, I listened to Klein's um, fireside chat on IPO Edge with John Generone, and it was interesting, but the, the, um, the tape was telling me a different story. So quite frankly, I stayed away from it, and to see after the ARP guys are gone and to see it rally on strong volume is, like you just said, very interesting. I personally don't know what's creating this phenomenon. So I'd be really interested to hear what others think. Yeah, what do you have to say? Because I have a, a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> uh, so I actually, I actually wrote about this about three weeks ago. So I started to notice this as well. Um, uh, and so my theory was, and you have to consider the shareholder base, um, you know, whereas previously, let's call it 2019, you're right, it was definitely in our play. Um, and, and Julian, just as you laid out, like, that's exactly how it sort of looked like as far as like the, the share price. Um, but, you know, in 2020 and 2021, as we all know, you saw a lot of more uh, fundamental investors get involved much earlier, sometimes at IPO stage, um, but definitely as far as uh, when things announced, you know, they finally had an operating company to look at and evaluate and do some analysis on. And at that point, they would want to invest and create demand for the share. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, we've been in the sort of nuclear winter of specs. And that really scared off a lot of uh, fundamental investors. Um, it also uh, sort of coincided with um, uh, risk departments, right? Like a, a lot of a lot of these funds that would normally invest in specs, um, they had deployed a ton of capital, right? Um, and risk departments look at that and say, well, you know, you, you kind of have to scale it back a little bit, <laughs> you know, um, and, and whether they wanted to invest or not, they kind of like couldn't. And so you had a bunch of different factors sort of converge at the same time. And so I think uh, at least what I posited a couple of weeks ago was that, um, you know, you had a lot of uh, long only wait out the whole vote slash redemption process and they were investing post uh, close. Um, so, and, and that kind of bore out, right? Because if you look at CCX, if you look at like the last 10 deals that have, uh, had a vote and have closed, um, you, you're right. They would, they would trade like at trust or like right around trust or sometimes even below trust. But as soon as it closed, you saw demand for the share and the share would trade up significantly. Um, so the, the thinking being you had a lot of, um, um, turnover in the shareholder base, uh, where the natural buyer would come in at that point, uh, and want to own the share. And so I, I think you're 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 going to continue to sort of see that sort of um, pattern uh, at least in the near future. But you know, as things sort of level out with specs, I, I think it'll sort of revert back to what we saw previously, where you see um, you know long only kind of get involved a, a lot earlier. But for right now, um, they're waiting out the vote. You know, there's like no need for them to invest prior to that, particularly where things are trading. Um, so from a risk perspective, like they're just going to buy post vote instead. Yeah, and one other aspect of that dynamic, sort of capping the share price of the SPAC uh, before the vote, is you know, ARBs are effectively making a market if they can buy it 
9.94 and sell at 9.99 then you know you can just earn that spread and get rid of your risk heading into the redemption if you're stuck with inventory and that really capped a lot of the uh, prices of these specs uh, heading into the vote so one indicator that i like to look at and this leads really well into the ne- next discussion which is uh, business combinations m&a in sentiment there is that I like looking at volume and turnover on deal announcement because a lot of these back IPO investors, if you look at shareholder lists, you got the the Arab hedge funds that um, basically like bridge lenders. We lend capital to the sponsor for two years. The goal is to go out and strike a deal, and then turn the shareholder base will turn to longer term shareholders. The hedge funds get their money back, hopefully by selling to new shareholders at a premium such that they can once again support the sponsor on their next iteration. And so it's all about turning that float over to new shareholders. So I I really like looking at the amount uh, or the volume of shares traded on deal announcement. And and that's a really good indicator on where it's going to trade. Because my theory is that you really need to cycle through the entire float before the share price can really rally, just given there's such an overhang in terms of ARB IPO investors that are just looking to get out at, you know, NAV or a slight premium to trust value, such that, you know, if you don't have that retail bid come into the stock and kind of like, because they're much, much less price sensitive, uh, you know, 99% probably don't even know what the underlying or trust value per share is. And they have the goal of buying it, you know, 1010 and selling at like $20 because they're they're far more speculative. So you really need to watch the volume on the underlying SPAC to see um, has the entire float turned? And if so, then that's like a key indicator that I believe it can rally uh, at that point. But if you're looking at some of the deals recently announced, it's just uh, (laughs) sentiment is still pretty poor because volume so low with respect to float turnover um, you know, it's barely like 10% of the shares outstanding. And then even on the, the IPO side of these things, I would remember you'd get a lot, um, four or five months ago, IPOs could be 10 to 10, 10 to 20 times oversubscribed. And you had a lot of IPO flippers because first day IPOs were trading up uh, 6 to 8%. So they'd buy, sell it the next day in the IPO units. And we'd see volume in the IPOs of 30 to 40%. The entire SPAC, like more than a third of it would turn on the first trading day. And now you look at the IPO volumes and, and they're way down. <laughs> like most are less than 10% um, because you don't get that pop. You don't get that first day IPO flippers. And historically, those have been the guys that pay the highest commissions on the streets who on the street who get that access. So I think that's a really inter- interesting dynamic on the business combination M&A side. And I did want to have a discussion and hear your thoughts on sector sentiment within M&A. And what we've seen over the past few months is the demise of the so-called SPAC pop, where you'd have these tremendous rallies. You know, historically, you could see 10 to 20%, but in Q1, it just went insane. And I still remember uh, one um, one or two deals where they'd go up 50 to 100% uh, 
basically after hours after announcing the deal, which was just uh, absolute madness. And we all remember uh, CCIV trading up to 60 pre-deal just on massive speculation, just because it became you know somewhat of a meme stock, not driven by shorts, but just driven by rabid speculation. So I did want to touch on you know the state of the business combination and M&A market. So I, I looked at some data, all deals announced in May and June. There's been 32, and there's just one that's trading above uh, trust value, and that's a small biotech LSAQ LifeSci acquisition too. They announced this uh, Science 37 deal May 7th, and so all others, 31 out of 32, are trading at 9.95 per common share on average. But then we look at the unit. And they're trading on average at 1050. So effectively for IPO investors, like more than 100% of your return has been on the warrant side. And so I've been pounding the table on how important like this extra consideration is just warrants or rights, because in this stage of the market, that accounts for basically 100% of your return, uh, because everything's trading at a discount. So you see these warrantless SPACs, and it's you know, people have different attitudes on them, and it really depends on what environment we're in. Because if we're in a bull market, then it's more so, oh, I'm betting on uh, the jockey here, you know, whether it's a, a, a Chamath deal or TPG or Apollo Fortress, whomever it is, Bill Ackman, of course. Then uh, you're not too concerned about the warrant coverage because you're relying on that pop from the common shares to get your return. However, and you know through a bear market, it just shows important how uh, or how important those warrants are, how important that extra consideration is. Because right now in the current environment, that's accounting for 100% of returns. So I just wanted to get uh, everyone's thoughts on that. Jeff, we could start with you because uh, you're the warrant pro. Yeah. Well, no, I, I got to say when you say you've only seen 10% you know, pops here and there. Um, we, we still are in the world of, you know, essentially from, I mean, the March, April lows, uh, we're still seeing 50, 70, 80% pops are, are kind of the norm. It, it's, it's a matter of, it, it is, it is relatively diminished from, you know, say the heydays back in, uh, November, December. However, um, this is kind of where it ramped back up. And again, I don't think we're completely done uh, with any headwinds, but I, I do see enough catalysts here that that could lead us back into the days of seeing two, three hundred percent. Some of these deals were great uh, and dropped into a market at the absolute wrong time. And I just I think in in hindsight they're going to look like they were too cheap. Uh, I know at some point I was looking at SOAC at a dollar and was like, Jesus, I have to buy more of this warrant. And I mean it's at a buck fifty now. So in the bloodbath, I bought something that everybody thought was crazy to buy. Oh God, future projections, and I mean it's already another fifty percent up. So I mean it's it's all relative to the the time that whoever enters and how long they choose to stay. I mean I personally uh, ride through very few these facts, so that's not necessarily my primary concern. Uh, I, I focus really on the, uh, the 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 point of the the trade where where we are focused on. Uh, pre-DA, can they get a merger? So uh, to be quite frank, um, from a statistical perspective, you, you can get a warrant at such a, a deep value that any merger will will give you a return. 
Um, and so that that's really more my focus. There are a couple that look attractive in the D-spec phase, but like you said, we got so much historical that says that's just not a favorable environment. Um, I normally just kind of let things settle uh, before I take those positions. And I normally don't ride the warrants anywhere near that, that length of time. Uh, just because the, the risk is, is not worth, um, the reward at that point, we've escalated past, uh, you know, a, a, an undervalued warrant where we're going to really see the leverage. The odds of getting a 10 bagger have diminished significantly uh, versus the pre-DA phase. So that that's really my hot button is in that pre-DA phase, uh, targeting as close to the dates that they might announce, um, trying to catch them pre-rumor so that all of the leverage capability is still somewhat intact. Um, but no, I, I, I think this is going to be a, a roaring end of summer, end of fall. Um, but me personally, that, that's how I'm looking at it. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So in terms of M&A, we've had some very high-profile deals that have kind of flopped. I mean, ones that uh, I thought were interesting on the fintech side, you had Acorns uh, with uh, PACX, you had Dave with VPCC. We all know that uh, Bill Ackman's not official deal, but it's in the works with UMG, wasn't necessarily well-received by the market. You had a super high-profile biotech deal from the Soaring Eagle team, which is one of the most well-respected teams out there. Also, Kensington Capital 2 and the Wallbox deal. It's like, you know, none of these hyper-growth stories are really working. And then you look at something like the um, Algoma Steel deal. You know, it was in bankruptcy. It, it's being done at like two to three times EBITDA, you know, classic value investment, old economy type play. And that's working. It seems like, you know, basically nothing's working in terms of MA sentiment in the current market environment. Christy, what are your thoughts on the state of business combinations and MA? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I think it goes back again to, um, you know, the announcement is the biggest um, event in a SPAC's life. Um, and every, everybody's sort of looking for the share to pop as uh, an indicator of the health of the deal and, you know, whether to invest. And we're just not seeing it. And it kind of goes back to what I was sort of talking about before, which is you have a lot of um, uh, fundamental investors who are just like, that's nice, that's great, I'll invest later. Just not going to invest now. If you don't have enough of those types of investors creating demand for the share, then the share price doesn't rise, right? And I also think that, um, and I could be wrong, maybe Guru, you can kind of back me up on this, but it feels a little bit like retail has shifted from the share to the warrants and the rights to a certain extent. Um, and so you're, you're sort of missing demand on two fronts. And if you're left with just ARB holders waiting for someone to sell to, then the share is just not going to pop. Um, the other thing too is, 
you know, given the current um, regulatory environment and new SEC chairman, you know, some of the deals we're seeing are also still coming out with, you know, for it, like uh, projections like 2025, you know, 2026. And I think people are a little bit uh, gun shy on those, um, just, you know, given where we are. The other thing, too, about the, like some of the tech deals, you know, we just came out of, you know, Q2 or we're about to uh, end Q2, but um, it was pretty tough on fang stocks um, in general. Forget about SPACs. You know, everybody's worried about inflation, um, growth companies versus value companies. Um, so it's, it's just like a lot of noise. Um, and so I think there's not much incentive for people that naturally should want to own the share long term, uh, meaning post or, you know, uh, through the vote to want to jump in until after the vote. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and one deal that I thought would be very telling in terms of where the market's at is this vertical aerospace broadstone acquisition deal that got announced today because that's another name that they're valuing on 2026 numbers, five years out, futuristic EV toll technology, and um, you know, not not surprisingly, not trading great. You know, still in the 990s. Uh, we are long that one an arbitrage fund to disclose, but um, you do have some high profile shareholders and you look at some of these pipe financings and you're like, what's the market missing here? One thing that I commented on, on my Twitter feed the other day is that I counted three SPAC pipe deals that are currently live, currently trading in the nine nineties that are led by Tiger Global. Now, Tiger Global is like the most prolific late-stage VC investor globally, and obviously well-respected. They're running tens of billions of dollars, run by Chase Coleman, veteran of the business. And you know they're buying all these deals at $10, and there's not too many opportunities for regular everyday investors, retail investors to get in on a Tiger Global-led deal at cheaper prices than them. And quite frankly, like no one cares. Like literally no one cares about it. And it's such an interesting dynamic that personally, I don't think that'll last, but the opportunity is there right now. And um, yeah, there's just not a lot of attention being paid to it. The other dynamic that is um, that happened this week was uh, Coastal Ventures, they announced, they have a number of SPACs, they announced their first business combination in the uh, healthcare space. And unsurprisingly, uh, kind of fell flat, trading around 990. And that's important. Uh, not only that, they are, you know, top five most high profile SPAC sponsored team out there, uh, just given their reputation in the venture community. And this was their first deal. And this their first SPAC and all their SPACs are warrantless. So IPO investors are, are sitting on losses here just because there's no additional compensation from the warrant. So I wanted to flag that uh, interesting security. And you contrast that with one of these kind of uh, low profile, tiny SPACs that offer much higher compensation to IPO investors, just given the makeup of the unit. Like if you look at Lego, the units are trading at like 11, around 1160, which is like a 16% return for IPO investors. And the only reason is that it had phenomenal uh, warrant coverage. Like you got 
a full warrant in that one. And that contributed to like 100% or over 100% of the return. So that's an interesting dynamic that I thought I'd flag for investors. I wanted to pass it along to G. What are your thoughts on the current M&A environment, sector sentiment, and what do you think of the current deals in the market? Before before you get to G, I I did want to make one note about Kosla. So you're right, Kosla, like top five teams, like super, super name. I think they. I think part of their problem is they botched the rollout of the announcement. Right? They didn't provide any information on the financials of the company. They left a lot of investors in the dark, and that's not what to do in an environment like this at all. I, I feel like a lot of these deals, the the IR could be significantly stronger. You know, um, it, like again, it's the most important event in the SPAC's life, and if you don't roll out the announcement correctly, investors are sort of left scratching their head, and and when investors don't know what to make of it, or or can't do any analysis on a deal, like the easiest thing to do is just wait. Oh yeah, I 100% agree with that. And it's, you see some, they just put out an AK in the middle of the day at like lunchtime and there's really uh, not much to disclose. They don't have an investor presentation. They're not providing financials. They don't give you any information. And one that was super frustrating that happened yesterday was that Venus acquisition deal they are, you know, an, an Asian focused team, but they basically provided like no information. And I'm like, you know, what's going on here? And then even on the uh, the Broadstone deal, it took them forever just to come out with like an investor deck for investors to look at. So yeah, hundred percent, the investor relations on a lot of these teams are, are very, very poor going into a seminal event that has Massive implications on the success or failure of the deal. Chi, what do you think? I, I think that, you know, rolling back to kind of what we were discussing earlier, some of these, obviously, all spec sponsors aren't created equal. And I'm going to bounce around and I'm just going to touch on a couple different things. Somebody the other day when we were talking about Clove came in and said, Chamath has nothing to do with this. Um, it's all a short squeeze. And my response to that was, well, Chamath has lots to do with it. Because if he didn't create the, the he didn't create the awareness of the stock, the symbol, the company, you know, the short squeeze would be the tree that fell in the woods if no one was there to hear it. The reason that I think it, it caught so much fire is because Chamath, you know, we talk about the promote all the time. Well, can you really knock the promote on a guy who's got something promoted so much that the retail investors of the world instantly know what the symbol is regardless if they like the company or not they instantly can make that decision if they want to jump in or or not jump in based on some information instead of just some random you know symbol that's a bunch of letters and a number so for that i just want to comment that you know whether you like the deal or not some of these high profile people definitely bring more eyes to it and you know, more eyes then can make those decisions when they see something that's either bullish or bearish. It does work both ways. So that was one thing I wanted to touch on. And the second thing, kind of like we were talking about earlier with the pipe investors, that there might be a a pipe crunch. Well, we talked about what um, Christy named as the bottleneck or digestion many times over the last few weeks and months. And that, that the pop isn't there. And being the pop isn't there, these pipe guys and the and the funds and institutions who participate in the SPAC IPOs 
don't get the ability to rotate out of their stock to retail. Well, we're also seeing that with retail. A lot of these deals that are not getting the pop, you know, retail will, will gladly call themselves bag holders. And the bag holders are basically anybody who bought the stock and it's now trading below their average cost. So we have this digestion and we have this, this bottleneck through not only the asset class, but all the different, you know, streams of that asset class. We have, we have the, you know, the institutions, we have the ARBs, like you were saying, you know, it makes great sense that an ARB who's been buying it for months instead of waiting for the redemption might be at, you know, nine ninety nine on the offer. So they're trying to get out. You have the pipes trying to get out. And then you have the retail guy looking for the light of day to try to get out, who's probably not the smart money and has the highest cost average of everyone. So, again, we're kind of in a perfect storm with these things. And as we all know, these markets evolve quickly. And what worked in um, the third and fourth quarter of 2020 um, we forgot all about that when we went into January, February of 21. And everything that we thought we learned in early 21, when we got blown out and went into SPAC nuclear winter, um, really made a lot of people rethink their strategies. And lots of folks listen to Jeff, and lots of people have learned about the warrant pop that exists, even sometimes when the common pop doesn't. So... You know, we have an interesting thing going on here, and until something breaks, and we were all kind of counting on Bill Ackman to, to bring us to the promised land with some fantastic target, and that kind of went over, you know, as they say, like a fart in church. So with that being said, I'll, I'll be quiet for a while and listen to what some of you guys think. Yeah, one thing that you touched on that I think is important to note is the SPAC market is highly cyclical and very sentiment-driven. I mean, over the past 15 months, we've basically been through four, through four cycles, corrections and bull markets, bear markets. So it's important that investors keep that in mind. And so I want to move on to questions in about three minutes. So to the extent anyone has questions, uh, get ready. One last thing I wanted to touch on prior to getting to the questions was, Outlook, where do you guys see and what do you think we have in store for the SPAC market in the back half of 2021? Jeff, I'll start with you. What do you think uh, is in store for us? Uh, well, I think we start to see some of the deals um, that came to the table, some of the IPOs from last year. Uh, we'll be announcing deals. We've got tons that have already announced their, their DA that should find conclusions, big names um, that were catalysts to part of the, the absolute collapse like CCIB. Uh, should, by any stretch of the imagination, announce you know the finalization of that. I, I think I think genuinely we have enough going on as well as this economic engine that is about to take place with with growth and people getting out of their houses. And I, I genuinely believe that corporate America has stockpiled lots of cash. They got they got money at, at super cheap rates. So I think you're going to see a, a lot of debt removal. And I, I think it all pretends well for, for us in general. Whether or not that ends up leading us to another bubble um, remains to be seen. But I think, I think there's going to be too much enthusiasm through the back half of this year um, that, that we could very well see a repeat of last year. Uh, it would not blow my mind whatsoever. So I, I really think by the end of this summer, we're, we're already firing on all cylinders. 
Okay, great. So continuation of the current momentum. Christy, what are your thoughts on the outlook for the SPAC market heading into the rest of 2021? Uh, so since June 1st, we've already had um, 13 deals announced and uh, not announced, excuse me, um, had their shareholder votes closed, um, which is just a tremendous amount for one month already. Um, but further to that, we already have a, another 20 on the calendar and then we have um, uh, another 12 that have record dates set, but just haven't set their vote date. So you're looking at um, an additional 32 deals that could come within the next, uh, let's call it six weeks through the end of July. Um, that's just a tremendous amount of capital to um, be rotated, right? And that should help free up the market a little bit. However, uh, having said that, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more cautious. I'm thinking more of a real quote-unquote comeback to SPACs, uh, more along the lines of um, mid to late August, maybe Labor Day, um, only because I think I think investors are a little, little bit more cautious now. There's a little bit of PTSD involved. I don't think you're going to see what we saw in Q1. You know, I, I think it'll be good. I don't think it'll be like Q1, though, again. I, I find it hard to believe. The other thing I think is um, we just have a tremendous backlog, just an enormous backlog of SPACs trying to IPO. And the thing I'm sort of curious about is to see how many of those teams convert to a spark. Um, everything, uh, you know, I've been hearing, just talking to other bankers, other lawyers, after Ackman dropped his deal with the, the spark structure, uh, every banker, every lawyer on the street got a call because everybody wanted one. <laughs> um, and so you have a lot of these repeat teams that, uh, you know, You've seen them all, like Barry Sternlicht, right? He's got a, he's got like six facts now, or seven facts. I can even keep count. You know, the ones that are still in registration, do they, do they uh, withdraw those registration statements and convert to a spark? I don't know. Remains to be seen. I think that would help though with the backlog for sure. Um, it's sort of an interesting dynamic though, because from an underwriter's perspective, that's a lot of lost underwriting fees for the bankers, right? Because with sparks, there's no underwriting fee. So there's just there's just a lot of question marks I have about sort of going forward. But on the whole, I do think uh, the sheer amount of shareholder votes and the ability for investors to rotate capital because of that should further loosen the market going forward. But I do think investors will be extremely cautious, at least at the beginning. Like I, I think success builds on success. And so I'm, I'm thinking more towards August, uh, August Labor Day. We'll be back. Yeah, so the emergence of the Spark security is something that investors should keep their eye on ever since, uh, you know, Pershing Square announced that very unique and complex transaction. Not definitive yet, but certainly something to keep an eye on. Gee, what are your thoughts? What's your outlook for the SPAC market heading into the rest of the year? As we've all learned, they are not all the same. Don't treat them the same. I um, kind of tell people who ask, that I follow the pipe people. Um, there was a really cool um, specs attack the other day on Benzinga by Chris K and Catchy and uh, and Mitch, and they had they had Jonathan from Butterfly on, and he basically said that when he was talking about doing his pipes and Ark Invest and, and Templeton showed up, they didn't just show up with bankers; they showed up with PhDs in molecular science, and he was able to have real conversations with real people that he didn't have to dumb it down. So the pipe money is the smart money. And we all know um, that we try to follow the people who are the long holders and have the vision to uh, look down the road. And if you get to listen to the 
um, Harry Sloan conversation. That's a podcast. It's really interesting, and it talks about how they divvy up the IPO to long funds, ARP funds, and it's very interesting dynamic, and it's a real good insight to uh, how some of these sponsors think. All right, so we are going to move to questions here. So if you do have a question, raise your hand, and we'll give you the stage. We've got about 10 minutes. So I believe we have one from Alex. Thank you, everyone, for a great discussion. Um, Julian, I would like to ask you the question that you just asked the other participants because you seem to have a real knack for predicting the movements of the SPAC market. So in January and February, you were sounding the warning that the market was overheated and that you were positioning your Accelerate Arbitrage Fund conservatively. And then in March and April, uh, during the SPAC bear market, you noted that you were positioning aggressively to take advantage of the bear market. And so I would love to hear, given the recent signs of life in the SPAC market, how are you positioning now? And uh, what do you expect the market to do over the next uh, several months? That's a good question. Obviously, uh, I know as much as anyone else, which is uh, nothing, but I'm happy to opine and prognosticate on where things are at. So I like to um, keep a keen eye on discounts and premiums to the underlying net asset value of the SPAC market. It's a chart graph that I tweet out you know, roughly once a week, and I monitor it every day, and it just kind of gives me a broad sense of where sentiment is at. And so it peaked Feb 19th at 27% average premium to NAV. So that mean meant that the average SPAC common share was trading at $12.70, which was the most extreme ever. I mean, over the past year, the average SPAC NAV premium was roughly 7 to 8%. And after it, it peaked mid-February, it declined precipitously, and it has bottomed and, and sort of you know, flatlined around a slight discount. Now, what's happened over the past kind of eight trading sessions is that um, the proprietary SPAC index that that we do track, it's actually gone from a slight discount or pretty much uh, trading right in line with net asset value to a a 0.7% premium, which is still small. But the fact is, we're starting to see premiums coming back. So whenever I can buy anything at a discount, I'm super bullish on that. And whenever I'm having trouble putting capital work because everything's at a massive premium, you know, I'm I'm bearish on that and I, and I want to sell. So as Ben Graham said, the market is there to serve you, not guide you, but it does provide a lot of key insights and data points that you can base this on. So. It's all about probabilities. I think the probability of you making money if you're buying SPACs at a discount is is quite high and very good. But the probability of you making money if you're buying these, you know, twenty percent premium pre-deal, like many were on the uh, Pershing Square SPAC, and I was kind of pounding the table, warning them against that is completely out of line with where the market was at, and then we saw. Obviously, it was set up to disappoint because the expectations baked in was just way too high. So I'm just constantly cautioning investors not to pay too much. And obviously, I like Bill Ackman as much as the next guy. It's just you got to look at price with respect to kind of underlying intrinsic value. And for pre-deal SPAC, it's basically the cash. Plus, you can ascribe you know a bit of a premium to the sponsor, but certainly not 20 to 30%, which is as crazy in my opinion, but where I think things are going. So we look at 
uh, basically two concepts. So the first concept is this market is highly cyclical. Like I said, uh, four cycles over the past 15 months. And number two is you want to buy low, you want to sell high. Buy low is when lots of things are at discounts, which is what we're seeing now. The market just as recently as June 3rd was at a slight discount on average. Now it's at a 0.68% premium on average, which implies there's still hundreds of SPACs at discounts. There's still tons of units at discounts. So we like to pick up the units because those warrants are driving those returns these days. But we're seeing the IPO market pick up. Like I said, today, the first that was 3x oversubscribed that I've seen in a long time, the first that got upsized, I saw a lot of bankers. I mean, a lot of IPOs got pulled. A lot had trouble just covering the book one times over. So we're seeing signs of life in the IPO market, but it's still very early. But I think we're seeing green shoots and perhaps the start of a new bull market. I don't think we'll ever get close to where things were in Q1, where premiums hit an average 27%. But what I'm saying is I won't be surprised over the next few months, premiums going from basically nothing to call it, you know, five, seven, eight percent, where you have some SPACs trading up 10, 50, 11 bucks. Uh, post-deal announcement. And the other really interesting thing to monitor closely, as Christy mentioned, there's a ton of DSPAC votes coming up over the next few weeks, a ton of outstanding deals that need to close. So keep an eye on those. If we continue with this dynamic where they keep rallying post-deal vote, then you know markets are somewhat efficient and that will start to be priced in pre-deal. Like it's not that easy to buy three days before the vote, then clip a 10% return, right? That's going to start uh, pricing in to uh, the pre-deal. So that's another dynamic that that I'm waiting for. And so that's really one to watch is, is all these SPACs going to the deal vote and observing how they trade. So Alex, hope that answers your question. I'm going to go on to the next one. We have Anthony. Anthony, thank you for joining. How can we help you today? It's just connecting. We'll give him a second here. All right, there you go. Uh, hi, thanks for hosting this, Julian. This is my first time talking on Spaces, so hopefully you'll hear me okay. Me too. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, you're coming in good. Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if you guys, you guys obviously focus a lot uh, before the vote, uh, but do you guys ever think about how the SPAC market's getting so large is having longer-term implications on the overall market? Um, I think just this week, the initial Russell reconstitution list came out, and I think there are at least 50 SPACs on it. Um, so do you guys think by 2025, the Russell 2000 could be half these SPACs? Do you think about that or just opening that up? Yeah, who wants to take this one? I can have a quick comment. And so my thought on kind of SPACs and how they're infiltrating the, the market and the indices is that over the past two decades, we've seen a tremendous decline in publicly traded securities, a lot of consolidation uh, became too expensive, a ton of private capital keeping these companies private for so long such that you know publicly traded securities equities in the US went from basically 10,000 to like 4,000 right so we're now finally starting to see that reversal and it's 100% due to SPAC so i think the more selection investors have that's a good thing whether you're bull or bear i mean you can go long you can go short but it doesn't do any of us favors if in 30 years there's 30 stocks in the market and that's all we have, right? So happy to pass along to any of the experts on the panel today. Yeah, I, I agree with what you just said. Being we're down almost 60% of places 
where people could put their their money to work. Um, you know, that's why I think we've seen so many people just piling into things like the Fang names and all these other type of really crowded trades, in my opinion, is because there's really nowhere else to go. So will they all work? No. Um, there'll be some gems. There'll be some flops. There'll be a lot in between. So I'm with you. I think it's good. Um, a lot of technology and a lot of new, really cool emerging technologies, I think, will come out of this backbone. I'll pass it to the next people. Well, I, I just want to say one thing. I mean, doesn't doesn't CNN have uh, the CNN, C, sorry, not CNN, excuse me, CNBC, uh, Disruptor 50, and it's like all specs. <laughs> you know, like they love to, uh, someone had, had tweeted it recently, like, you know, CNBC, like obviously they love to hate specs, but, you know, the CNC Disruptor 50, almost always like spec targets. So, interesting. No doubt. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Which ironically, is CCV right now, which is one of the top 50 disruptors uh, they just announced. Or I guess there's a, a rumor on Therazio right now. I just, just saw that. So, yeah, I know it just, just kind of reinforces what Christy said. No, and I, I, I think as well that you're probably going to see a, a large amount of these defects stay alive for uh, years to come. Um, they, they absolutely are going to reconstitute the landscape. Uh, just, just as it would if we had hundreds of official direct IPOs in the last, you know, couple months. We, we've really got a lot sitting here just waiting to happen and still hasn't defined what they are. Okay, great. Well, that's an awesome place to leave things off. That pretty much does it for our hour today. I want to thank all the experts on the panel today, SPAC gurus, SPAC insiders, SPAC warrants. Make sure to give them a follow, all a follow on Twitter. I'm sure you are already uh so i am recording this gonna put it out as a podcast absolute return podcast likely on monday morning so if you have any friends who missed it feel free to circulate and if you enjoyed what you heard today feel free to tweet it out and uh, encourage everyone here to perhaps do this again next month so thanks everyone hope you have a great weekend take care bye everybody thank you julian thank you Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.